As the world is writing a new story of global kinship, Postmodern Missionary dives into what it means to be a missionary pushing against the heritage of colonialism. Join Reverend Katie Meek as she explores life and faith in Sierra Leone. Hi, friends. Welcome to the podcast. This is my first, like, official podcast episode, and it is with Bishop John K. Yambasu. I always wanted to call him Jan K. Yambasu, but it is John K. Yambasu. Y'all, this bishop, he is the kind of person, um, I learned very quickly that you just kind of want to um, sit and observe and um, soak in as much of his leadership abilities and wisdom and um, and giftedness as you can. He is just like, he's a really great human being and Christian and leader and bishop. And you'll hear that in our conversation. Now, here's the thing about this conversation. I recorded this like a solid year ago. It was last August, I believe. It was in the middle of the rainy season. So all that to say, um, you'll hear a lot of really exciting dreams. And um, some of those are moving forward. Actually, as we speak, a new building is being erected in the center of Freetown for um, the second school for the university. And it's a, it's a school of education. Um, and then there are some other things that we're still kind of moving on. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks so much for listening and being here and love to all of you, France. Enjoy it. Okay. Um, so welcome Bishop Yamasu to the podcast. Well, thank you, Katie. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. We are in your office um, in downtown Freetown. So people might hear there's just honking and it's the middle of the rainy season. So rain happening outside and all the things. <laughs> Um, but it's a good season. I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the rainy season. It is a good season because this is the time God waters the earth for plants to grow mm-hmm. and for food to be available for people to eat. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's actually this this rainy season is kind of strange though. We it's been a light season, hasn't it? It's been a light season, extremely light season because by now we should be really having excessive downpour of rain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been we've had some really nice days yeah the last three four days has really been good yeah yeah strange good in the sense that we have sunlight Mm-hmm. But not in the sense that there is no rain. Because right. this is the time Sierra Leone is really expecting rain. Yeah. More so for our farmers. Because while we rejoice here in the city that there is no rain, right. the farmers down in the rural communities are really sweating. They are just thinking, wow, what's happening yeah. to our crops? I didn't really think about the agricultural side of it. I've, I've been worried about what's going to happen in March and April when we don't have enough water. <laughs> Because water is an issue, you know, water is an issue certainly in Freetown. It is an issue, most of, well, not just in Freetown, but but maybe in Freetown, yes, because we have the heaviest population of the country here in Freetown. Right. Yeah. But kind of everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. Infrastructure is one of those things that we are still hoping and dreaming for. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. Especially with the new direction government that has come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's, okay, so I'm going to write that down. We can talk a little bit about that later, maybe if we have time. Mm-hmm. But what I'd like to do is give people a chance to get to know you 
and talk a little bit about the um, university as well as Sierra Leone and um, the the gifts and the and the beautiful thing about the church here as well as um, the country itself. All right, so um, you've been a bishop now for ten years. For ten years. Um, for ten years. So wow, and you are you are from Sierra Leone. Ten challenging years. Yes, yes from Sierra Leone. Yes. <laughs> so um, yeah, you've. I mean, I I bet you have some stories to tell uh, about the the about God's faithfulness, but certainly some some um, s- some sleepless nights here. Absolutely, Kitty. Well, thank you first of all for having this podcast with me. Um, my name is uh, Bishop John Yambasu. Mm. I'm Bishop of the United Methodist Church, um, resident in the Sierra Leone area. I was elected on the 28th of December 2008. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like 10 years old, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years old in the Episcopacy. But of course, the most interesting thing that I always want to share with people is the fact that I am the first generation Christian in my family. Wow. Oh, yes, my grandparents, my parents, brothers and sisters, and everybody in my family are Muslim. Mm-hmm. I am the only Christian in my family, uh, except for my own children. Right. All of them and my wife are all Christians. But that gives me, you know, a better perspective of who I am even as I go in, as I came into ministry and uh, my relationship you know with the people from whom I came yeah because it's about 60% Muslim in Sierra Leone it's about right? 60% Muslims in Sierra Leone yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's interesting we we get lots of days off for different Muslim holidays we just had one a couple of days ago we just had one and uh, unfortunately I never had it because we are busy here in the office working out budget for 2019 mm-hmm. for Mercy Hospital and uh, the Chad Rescue Center but I think it was a holiday worth spending that way yeah yeah. Well, I think um, the the work of a bishop is never done, and certainly, <laughs> certainly in Sierra Leone, you're a certainly very hard worker. <laughs> it is strange when other bishops get to hear that I was sitting down on the budget committee. Yeah, that's not the work of a bishop, you know. Right. But, but, but then here in Sierra Leone, in Africa, you got to do that mm-hmm. because you need to provide guidance and all the rest of that. And in any case, it is expected of our people. It's part of our culture. Right. Especially when you are dealing with partners who are pouring in their money into the programs they want nothing but the best right and you not being in a meeting and then having the wrong budget can never be a good excuse for them right so right. you have to make sure that the right thing is done so in many ways you you are there to provide um, because you have exposure to the ways um, people in the West do things and certain expectations with your partnerships but then also provide your own wisdom and accountability Absolutely. Especially when we are in a time of transition right now in those two programs. Uh, we are just facing out the residential program, so we will no longer have an orphanage mm-hmm. in uh, uh, keeping with the expectations of uh, the United Nations that the best place to care for children is in the home. Right. And so some two months ago, we transitioned all of the 40 children in the on the orphanage into homes. And so it's a critical time. Right. And yeah. so it's a new budget totally of what it means to keep them in those homes, taking care of them and their families is a new dynamic, new staff, new 
orientation and everything. So so we are it's a learning curve and so we had to put everything together mm-hmm. to make sure we prepare the right budget because mm-hmm. if we miss it, we miss it for good. Right, right. So let's talk just really quickly because I I think that, um the CRC and Mercy Hospital and all of that is kind of your baby in some ways. It you, is my baby. Yeah. It is my baby and I give God the glory for that. Yeah, well I mean I think I think in many ways what um we, we saw the kind of uh, visionary leader that you are uh, through that uh, when it started. So uh, the CRC is called the Child Rescue Center. It's in Bow. Mm-hmm. And now there is a hospital attached to it called Mercy Hospital. So can you tell us just quickly the story of how all of that started? It's an interesting story and a very long one too. But mm-hmm. thank you. I, I will tell you very quickly. I... I was a staff working here at the UMC house. Mm-hmm. And I experienced as a youth director. And this was like 1999, 2000, something like that? No, 1990. I actually oh, came okay. here in 1990. Wow, okay, yes. okay. And I did that for about eight years. And that was the time when the war broke out in Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. And by this time we were in 1995, 96. It, it has reached its peak. Right. And, and you were here throughout the whole war? And I, I was here up to 1998. Okay, okay. Yes, up to 1998 when I left for the U.S. But from 1990 to 1998, I actually experienced the war. Yeah. The mayhem, the amputations, and all the rest of that. And I was personally involved in taking corpses from the streets to gather mm-hmm. my young people mm-hmm. into the mortuary. Oh, my God. Yeah, into the mortuary because there were bodies, you know, littering the streets and vultures picking on them and all the rest of that. Oh my gosh. And especially children who were abandoned on the street when their parents were killed. And so I left this country to go to Kanla School of Theology for school with a bleeding heart and a mm-hmm. deep, deep, deep burden upon my heart for those children. And so immediately I finished school. Of course, there were temptations in those days for compatriots, you know, with whom, who have left this country, who decided to stay because it was very terrible for them to come back. Right. But I decided, out of that experience of seeing those children on the street, I decided to to leave the U.S. after my studies to come back home and join government in the rehabilitation process, Hmm. you know, rebuilding process of the country. And that was how the dream of the Child Rescue Center actually came about. And, uh, Fortunately, I had a friend who is more than a friend, who has been more than a friend, Tom Balin from Flores United Methodist Church mm-hmm. in Hendon, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I shared this dream with him. And he said to me, John, I think I can partner with you. Wow. You know, it's a vision that's worth, you know, pursuing. So the two of us worked together. And that was how Child Rescue Center came about. We defied everything in terms of church protocol. <laughs> His bishop wasn't involved. My bishop wasn't involved. Wow. And somewhere along the line, we were stuck. But the two of us were very convinced that that was the right thing. Yeah. Because if we had wanted to go through the normal protocol, we would never have had a Child Rescue Center. Right. In the process, I lost my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah, I lost my job for just doing that. Yeah. But thank God, the Child Rescue Rescue Center is there today. Yeah, and with over 600, you know, 600 children in the program, oh my God, yeah, we just thank God for that. And over six, seven of them now graduates, being medical doctors and engineers and all the rest of that. That's amazing. That is pretty joy. And yeah. that's what happens when we put God into our vision. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, well and and certainly uh go after a risky thing in front of you oh yes oh yes oh, oh yes know, what what was it at the inauguration um kim cape uh, dr kim cape said what happens if you don't take a risk nothing nothing happens if you right. don't take a risk yeah nothing happens if yeah. you don't take a risk i think that was a powerful statement mm-hmm. it was and, and so the child rescue center was uh, was established first as a feeding program feeding the children you know one day at least providing them one meal a day which mm-hmm. was good and by the time it was like two weeks every Everybody in Bhutan, where child rescue centers are established, have come to know about it. Wow. And the children we are just pouring in. Mm-hmm. And some of them, and so we have to increase the feeding to two times a day. Wow. It's like a beggar finding food. Mm-hmm. Guess what will happen? Goes to find the next beggar and right. bring him in. Yeah. And so all of these children started pouring in. And sometimes, because the number was increasing and they knew they have to eat in the morning, they will never leave the premises. They will stay there in the open place. They sleep in there so that they will be the first in line. Wow. And so I thought it was unjust and very, you know, because I was comfortable sleeping in and the morning by one o'clock I get out, I see all of these children. Mm-hmm. So then the idea of having an orphanage came in. Right. So we decided to bring them in. Yeah. But we couldn't bring all of them in. We started with 40. Wow. And so because of the cost involved, we closed the feeding program and focused on those 40 children who were in the home. Yeah. But then many of them that we, you know, we recruited in the home were malnourished and they brought, there were sores and all over the body and uh, it was pretty expensive taking them to the hospital every now and then so we thought we could have an in-house kind of clinic mm-hmm. so we did a one room out of the orphanage setting just one room and employed a trained and qualified nurse mm. so that the children who were malnourished you know give them nutritious food and all the rest of that clean their wounds and uh, malaria and every kind of thing and so it was that one bedroom mm-hmm. that one bedroom kind of crash clinic right. that has now been transformed into a full-fledged Mercy Hospital. And Mercy Hospital does research um, about communicable diseases Oh, they do. It's one of the best. Yeah. It's one of the best research hospitals in this country. It's amazing. It and is. They, they have a new wing now. I was just there in, I guess, April. So um, it really is incredible, all the things that they do. That is the OR, the new OR building. We are hoping that we'll be able to open that OR building in January, mm-hmm. basically through support from the helping children worldwide in Virginia, we have got all of the equipment, the surgical equipment and machinery and everything now in the high seas. Mm-hmm. So we'll be able to have that and officially open the hospital, the new building. And that will bring in an overflow of patients. Mm-hmm. So while we are doing that also, we're also thinking of expanding the hospital by providing a new building for admitting for admitting patients. Great. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so that gives a little history, and then you um, lost your job at the at the UMC house and became later a missionary. I lost my job. I focused for one full time, one full year on CRC, mm-hmm. and then later on, the General Board of Global Ministries, United Methodist Women, saw the very good work that I was doing, and they thought I could expand that to other parts of Africa. Wow! And so they hired me as a as a regional missionary, and I worked in Ghana where. I was in sub-Saharan Africa mm-hmm. in about 13 countries, but I was based in Ghana. Okay. And that was another eye-opening experience I for me all together. 
as I, you know, came into direct contact with people with AIDS and the children in conflict with the law, and uh, you know, also I did all sort of things, mm-hmm. you know, from student movement to scholarship for ch- for children and depraved as students who could not go to college because and they have all their qualifications and working with General Board of Higher Education and UBGM and all the rest of that. It, it was a, it, it was like anything mm-hmm. I did almost anything there and that was really very interesting and that kind of really opened my eyes to the realities in our world the inequalities in our world yeah. especially in Africa with the abundance of potential wealth that we have and the diamonds and gold and all the rest of that but how our people still live in squalor right. you know on the continent there's a lot of injustice. A whole lot of injustice. And you just run into it around every corner, it seems like here. We're here and we live with it, we sleep with it, we yeah. wake up with it day by day. Right. Day by day. Yeah. You see, day by day. And sometimes, you know, often when we have missionaries coming here, it's like they come to do one thing, mm-hmm. but by the time they are actually there for one or two weeks, they want to do so many things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you, <laughs> because because you are turning to one need and then there's another need oh this is important too so let me do it and then there's another and another so what I always tell my missionaries is it's better off when you do one Mm-hmm. and do it well. Right. Then you do so many right. and you are stretched so thin. Right. So so that's where we are. That's right. That's right. I'm very happy to be at the university. That <laughs> way, oh, give my attention there. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. But oh, yeah, yes. I, well, I will say that we in the West have a tendency to want to fix things. And, you know, generally, um, mission work is not about fixing things. It's, it's, um, it's about developing relationships and opening. And through those relationships... Um, saying yes to, to God when God works, right? So. It is about relationships. It is about empowerment. It is about knowing that the people you have come to work with, not for, mm-hmm. are equally knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And because they are in their context, they know about their context more than you do right. as a missionary. Yeah, not equally knowledgeable, more knowledgeable. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, 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 so all that a missionary is supposed to do is to say, what can we do together? Right. Instead of how can I help you? Right. You see, again, that's where we miss it. It's not really helping, but working together. Mm-hmm. I think that's the war is a togetherness and in the process hopefully b- there is a change in both there's a change in both right. definitely there's um, a change in both in fact I've I have told missionary I've been a missionary myself and working in Africa mm-hmm. I, I, I just I, I you know that's just me you go to a context and by the time you live there you are never ever the same again. That's true. You are never the same again. That's true. As I say, you are broken, you are shattered, and then you transform into a completely new somebody mm-hmm. other than the somebody that you were before. Mm-hmm. That's what mission does to all of us who have been in mission. Yeah, absolutely. And I can already feel that. I mean, it takes no time really to feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, I've done a lot of short-term trips and things like that. Mm-hmm. There is nothing like actually coming and being and living and letting the... T- the slow transformation happen. Um, I can feel myself being transformed, but I'll be interested to see what it looks like a year from now or two years from now.
Right, then you became a bishop in 2008. Yes, I worked as a missionary for like eight years in Sub-Saharan Africa, doing all sort of things. And then in 2008, I was asked by some key leaders in the conference to come and provide leadership. It was not really what I wanted to do, mm. I must confess, yeah. because I was really engrossed in my mission work. Mm-hmm. It, took, it, just, it just took the whole out of me, mm-hmm. everything. I was just engrossed in doing mission work, meeting new people, you know, seeing needs and trying in your own feeble way. It could be frustrating because you could not provide everything, but just being there with them, mm-hmm. you know, touching and feeling and sitting down on the floor and uh, go into this, you know, depraved homes and you drink water from them and all the rest of that. Mm-hmm. And it was just wonderful. So I love that. So when the call came for me to be bishop, and I said to the people here in Sierra Leone, if you can identify somebody, I will give you every support. I will serve as a liaison for Sierra Leone. I will ask, work with GBGM to provide funding and all the rest of that. And the lay leader then said to me, Bishop, it's not about money. Mm. It's about personnel. It's about leadership. Mm-hmm. It's not about money. Right. So, so, and somebody said to me, and he was the very one, you, you know, who, who, who said to me, Bishop, you are the Esther for our situation in Sierra Leone. Mm. God has exposed you in the outside world to know what the reality is in Asana is so that he will equip you to come back in Sierra Leone and serve. Yeah. And if you don't come back to Sierra Leone, posterity will hold you responsible. Mm. And, and that kind of really touched my heart. Yeah. So I said, well, let me pray about it. But my prayer actually was that I don't come. <laughs> so eventually, the interesting thing is, hey, look, one day we sat in the living room, the time dining table with my family, you know, four children, myself and my wife. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, you know what? That's what God is saying that we go. People have come to me. And uh, in fact, when they went to me, two people went to me. And one of them, we all sat at the table, introduced them. I said, you see those people that came last week, they wanted me to go and be bishop. I said, but honestly, I don't want to go. Let's vote. Let's put it into a vote. <laughs> With your family. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it in a vote. Where the two elderly children, where there were actually three of them, they have missed home because mm. they have grown up here. They have got mm. friends and all the rest of that. Right. And going to Ghana, it was new friends and it was a little traumatic for them, a little yeah. bit having to change it's location challenge. and geography. But then the two other girls, the two little girls, they were well into being Ghanaians. Mm-hmm. They were speaking the Chui language and the, the Chui, the local language. Mm-hmm. They got many friends, bringing friends home. So they, they said, well, we, don't, we are not voting because we, you are more than we are. So, mm-hmm. but, but we don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> we want to stay here. Uh-huh. But to cut a long matter short in the final analysis, I think I conceded. Yeah. You know, to God and said, I will come. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole different story altogether. It's beautiful. Um, I do think that Sierra Leone is crying out for leadership. And and I I think leaders who have integrity, um, leaders who have integrity and who are willing to work hard 
um, because uh, there, there, it, it seems like what we often see here, at least um, from my perspective from the outside, is that um, sometimes people find power and then they they use that power to serve themselves rather than the community. Well, and I might I might be wrong about that. Well, sometimes could be and. Uh, Underestimation. It's really most times. Mm. Most okay. times, people aspire to leadership, not on account of wanting to lead or right. to give, but to receive. Right. And that is what is responsible. You know, almost uh, since 1961, we got independence on 50, almost 60 years down the line. There's not much difference that you will find. Mm. And worst of all, you know, the war came and then Ebola and all the rest of that. So leaders always want to find reason for not doing the right thing and for doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so today, oh, it's because of the war, all because of colonialism. Mm. And sometimes I say to them, our colonial mass has left since 1961. Right. And it's we are still turning back. Yeah. I think we should be forward looking. Yeah. But but that is really what it what we need in this country. What we need in this country are visionary leaders. Mm-hmm. Leaders who, who who always believe that they cannot lead without God. Mm-hmm. Leaders who are satisfied with serving and giving rather than being served and receiving. Right. I think that's what we need. Right. That's what we need. And and that's one of the reasons, you know, leadership with integrity. Mm. Leadership with integrity. And that's why maybe that's the next place you might want to take me. Right. I was about to go that direction. <laughs> I was thinking that's a good segue. Yeah. Uh, so um, when I came, first came, I didn't actually quite realize I was going to be as involved in the university as I am now. Yeah. Uh, but it really kind of takes up most of my life and I love it. Um, but but you, what I've, I found was there is a new United Methodist University. It's in the process of getting off the ground. It's been your dream for, I don't know, more than a decade. More than a decade. Um, so so tell us about um, the the United Methodist University, kind of where it comes from, and also why you want, wanted to start it. Well, well, thank you, Kitty. So many reasons. As I shared with you, I am the first generation Christian in my family. Mm. And I happen to have had my education through missionary influence. I was supported from the very early stages by missionaries because my parents were poor, could not afford the cost. And but for the church, I never would have been who I am today. Right. I feel the same. Yeah, I never would have been who I am today. And, And so... I, I feel, but, and, and that's what I always say, even in this country, if this country is to move from where it is, mm-hmm. the church must take leadership. Christians must take leadership. Moral leadership. More leadership. Yeah, more, more, moral leadership. And, more and moral leadership, ethical yes, leadership. You're right. Yeah. And, and so... When, when, when I be, and, and so when I became a missionary and I was working, you know, in Ghana and then for a whole year I was at GBGM for some orientation for some other, mm-hmm. you know, work other than the stuff that I was handling. Uh, the women's division which was trying to focus more on children. And so I was in the, U, in the, in the U.S. for one year to try to put all of those together. That's when I had this vision of education, 
education and education mm -hmm. as the one single thing that would transform the entire face of Sierra Leone. Mm. So down the line, when it became obvious two years later, two years from that time, that I was going to be a bishop because there was every indication, then I thought that was an answer because outside Sierra Leone, I would not be able to do that. And that was one of the reasons, again, why I decided to be a bishop because I would not have been able to achieve that dream right. of having a university outside of Sierra Leone as a missionary. Right. You got to be there and you got to be in charge. Right. So it was right there that I had this vision of a, of a United Methodist University. There are so many reasons. One, Sierra Leone happens to be one of the most illiterate nations in our world, in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, conservatively, we should be about 70%, 30% literacy. Right. Yeah, 30% yeah. literacy. Literate. I remember early on, um, Reverend Rogers was, um, I have a driver, and he was doing a contract, we were doing a contract with him, uh -huh. and it struck me so much that it was just a common question. Reverend Rogers looked at him and said, do you read? Um, because you almost have to ask that question pretty consistently. Oh, yeah. Because you don't, I mean, 70% don't. They don't. Right. No, they don't. Right. And that is sad. Yeah. And that is sad. You, you, because it's this in this country, we had the first university mm. in Sub-Saharan Africa. Right, Forbay College. Forbay right? College, yeah. yes. The Forbe Athens College. of the West. The Athens of the West. West you know, Africa. West yeah. Africa. And people all over West Africa came here to get their degrees and their doctorates. And we are still backward. Mm. Until some what? Until some years back, there was only one university, which was the University of Sierra Leone, that was later divided between University of Sierra Leone and then Jalat University mm -hmm. when Jalat became a statutory institution on its own. But even at that, we have made very little impact mm. on the level of literacy in the country. Again, the United Methodist Church is one of the oldest denominations in this country. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have elementary schools all over 300 plus elementary schools. But then this year, and then we have high schools all over, now about 35 yeah, high United schools. Yeah, United Methodist. United Methodist Like Church. we started it, we sponsor yes. those, those schools. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we still have about 300 plus elementary schools and 35 plus high schools. But what happens is that the kind of education that is offered at our university level is so secular mm -hmm. that by the time the child leaves our institutions, high school, and go to Froby College or Jala University for four years, they have lost a whole lot of the Christian values. Right, yeah. And so I thought to myself, if we have all of these schools, why don't we have a, a Christian university mm -hmm. that's concerned not only about secular education, but moral and ethical values? That's right. And that's the main reason behind the creation of the United Methodist University. And then also we thought that if that was going to be the goal, then we must start with the seminary. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. We have to start with the seminary where we bring our people directly in contact with God and what it means to be a Christian worker and then from there on we will begin to add the other schools to the university and Katie that's one of my joys has been I've been praying about that and I seriously count on you on your leadership to work with the Sierra Union team to really make sure that the, our desired goals are achieved 
but I see a whole lot about the university. Mm-hmm. We're just one year old, and uh, that's right. We started last uh, last fall, last September, right? So yeah. we have a group of students um, who are ministerial candidates. Um, uh, going uh, essentially going into ministry in the United Methodist Church. We started with our own, and eventually we'll expand yeah, and advertise, yeah, right? Y- yes, yes. So we were hoping that this year again we will add another nine to ten students. Mm-hmm. Uh, a whole lot of plans, and uh, by next year we'll be introducing some other program. I'm hoping two programs uh, by the next academic year, 2019, 2020. 20 academic year will want to also include gender and human rights studies yeah. and that's my passion because I strongly believe that any theology without gender is not it is not is is not is is bogus theology yeah. <laughs> that's definitely true and so we cannot have a seminary especially in our context in Sierra Leone where no no matter what you do women are always backward they are right. always behind yeah you see and this is that is injustice mm-hmm. so we want to include gender and the human rights studies Again, we are hoping that by the same token next year we introduce the graduate program. Mm-hmm. You, you know, let me tell you why the graduate program here. One, it's very, it's becoming very, very expensive mm. to send our students to study in the U.S. When I went to Emory somewhere some 20, 25 years back, it was 25,000 U.S. dollar per year to right. maintain me. Right. I went back a few... Uh, two or three years back, it, oh, it is $45,000. And that's cheap <laughs> compared it, to, to, in comparison to other places. Oh, oh yes. Well. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yes. Forty-five. Yeah. And I said to myself, give me for the $5,000 in Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. and I will train 100 students <laughs> in here. 100 students. Uh-huh. You know, with the best theology, with the best Christian values and all the rest of that that we can feed right. into the nation. Right. But secondly, apart from the cost, we send our students, they will never come back. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons for the massive brain drain. Right. Because our economy is so terrible in this country. You leave university, you come back, you're not earning up to $150 a month right. for all that it takes. And so if there is the slightest opportunity for you to go, many of them go and they don't come back. Right. And and in many ways, you can't blame them because there, there's an opportunity for that. But Absolutely. at the same time, if if our leaders don't stay here, Sierra Leone will never, will, will, will never f- find what it's looking for in terms of um, in, in terms of wealth for its people and making sure nobody's hungry anymore. Kitty, you, know. you are right. In fact, that was one of the motivating factors that caused me to come back. Mm. I had everything I needed in the U.S. on everything it takes. I was good. I was given a job and I was promised with my whole family that my whole family will go and join them. Yeah. Who would not take that? Right. But I said to myself, that would have been a great disservice to the church mm. because I went there out of church resources mm-hmm. and so I could not have taken all of those to myself mm. that's corruption that's why I took it yeah. because that's church resources invested in me for me to come back right. and give back to the country Right. it was a very difficult decision but I had to take it and so I came and honestly 
I've never regretted it. Yeah, that's really, I, yeah, I think, um, I, I think that that is where a Christ-centered perspective is really important mm-hmm. because I think with Christ, you recognize that it really is not actually about you. <laughs> it's, it's about, it's, it's about we Absolutely. together oh, um, yes. and, and you lose your life in order to gain it. Right. So, oh, yes. so um, in it's some biblical, ways, yeah. yeah, you've lost, you've, you've lost le- several lives to gain it, to mm-hmm. gain this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also in the process, a lot of other people have been helped. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Today, you can believe it. I took up with two elderly people in the entire UMC setting that had master's degree. Mm. Two years down the line, they retired. And so I was the only one with a master's degree mm. in the conference. Wow. And, and you know what that means. Yeah. You have a vision. You're discussing with people. They are wondering, where is it coming from? You know, they look at you like you're coming from a different planet. Right. And so, <laughs> and so, I thought that was a crisis for me. Right. And it was a crisis for me because you can't share your vision. You can share your vision, but people just don't understand. Mm-hmm. When I told them about the university, they say, "Hey, they say here comes another, you know, <laughs> crazy man, <laughs> another crazy, crazy man, man right? another dreamer. <laughs> where is he going to have all of that money? What's he talking?" about <laughs> because a good number of them they didn't have university education theological education because all of them most of them were just theological education by extension right you know the kind of TEE that we offered here where they come for one month every August and after three years three years you come then we ordain you as a deacon after right. two years we ordain you as an elder right and which, the, is, which is something it's better it, than nothing but it is better than nothing but in our age and time today we deserve better than that and so I engage myself into intentional leadership development sending these students to the ecumenical theoretical seminar that we had here sending them to Africa University to do their bachelors to do their diplomas and to do their masters Mm -hmm. and today I have not yet arrived, but I thank God that we have the kind of team that they that can now understand when we are talking about, you know, development or you know, all the sort of that. Right. Yeah. So in, in many ways you you're um <laughs> part of the university is about developing other visionary leaders so so that they also can set their own vision but so that when when um, we have a visionary leader who is bishop um, they they can also get behind that vision and understand it and um, and and communicate it out to to their congregations so that so that everybody can get behind something better I, you know I think something that I've noticed is that um, Oftentimes, when when uh, I talk with Sierra Leoneans, um, I, I feel like there's a, in some ways, a confidence issue. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily see themselves as as able and capable of. Um, uh, 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 even if they do dream, even if they are dreamers, they don't necessarily see themselves as capable of, of accomplishing that dream. And I think education really does help people to to uh, give them confidence to say, okay, actually, no, this is a dream that God gave me and we can do it together. Um, it, it is about, it really, in as much as it's about leadership development, it's also about mentoring. Mm-hmm. Not that a good number of our pastors here do not have anything to give, but one, it takes confidence. Yeah. And so what education does is to give them that confidence mm-hmm. to say, you 
can do it. Mm-hmm. You can do it. I often say to them, you, you know, that in each one of us there is a glow. <laughs> All you need to do add a little bit of fuel to it and becomes yeah. an inferno. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it blazes out. That's right. And that's what we need. And that's what I have been trying over the last 10 years to instill in my mm-hmm. clergy to, to, you know, for them to know that each in each one of us there is a gift that God has given and we have to transform that gift into something tangible not only for their own personal benefit mm-hmm. but for the benefit of the church and society absolutely because uh, again coming back to where we started the reason for my coming one of the things one of the reasons why god blessed abraham was that and God made it very clear to Abraham that I am going to bless you so that you be a blessing unto others. Mm-hmm. So that you be a blessing. And so all that I am doing is really realizing the fact that I have been blessed. I don't have material resources. I don't have all it takes in terms of the world standard. Mm-hmm. But spiritually, I think I have been specially blessed from coming from a Muslim background to being a Christian. I have seen the light. I'm now working towards my salvation and all the rest of that. I think that's tremendous blessing that God has ever given me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to come back home and be a blessing to others mm-hmm. so that they too. And and that is what has been translated into the many churches that we have been establishing all over this conference especially in the north where a good number of those people predominantly they are muslims mm. you want to see muslims now being converted they becoming methodists becoming christians and all that's just about giving back being a blessing to others and that's one of my joys mm-hmm. that's one of my joys that's wonderful yeah about the university that we um, in many ways are playing the long game Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, um, is there are there are certainly short-term gains that we could be making in the process, but but we've chosen to to invest and form a foundation yeah. so that we can develop principled leaders, so for the next generation, so that the next generation can essentially have have the empowerment to make things better, have the vision, have the integrity, mm-hmm. have the the excellence. Uh, focus and all of that to make things better. Well, Kitty, I will be working with the faculty, with you people, mm. maybe in the next one week when I'm a little settled. Um, you're right. One of the visions that I have is to develop a new program that's called Leadership Academy. Mm. In, 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 in the context in which we live today, we cannot just leave the whole uh, issue of running the church in the hands of clergy. Yeah. Oh. They are too busy. They are over busy doing busy, almost busy. everything. Yeah. That we need to train cutting edge, you know, lady mm-hmm. to give the kind of support. Mm-hmm. You see to give the kind of support to our pastors. So we are having, we hope that as we go into this academic year, we we'll all sit down together, we can plan like two month or three month courses for laity in the area of evangelism, in the area of church finance, in the area, because again, that's where it is. Mm-hmm. And this is what I think the seminary ought to be doing, giving back. Mm-hmm. Because we have all of these people running the church. Today we have issues of finance, you know, money 
actually running the church? Mm-hmm. And who are the people really handling the money, the late in the church? <laughs> and so we need to really go back to the root, bring them together, even, even once every month or every quarter, and teach them basics in sacrificial giving basics in self-giving mm-hmm. personal giving all that than sitting down collecting the offerings that come and then put them in the bank and next day they write checks to read it mm-hmm. goes beyond that mm-hmm. you see and especially with the new university we are building and everything the new churches and the new personages we can't depend 100 percent on what is coming out right. You know, the days are far gone when GBGN, Global Ministries, used to send to churches what they call block grant. Here is $20,000. Use it for discretion. Now there's no discretion at all. Mm-hmm. Every money coming in this conference and around the world is now designated. Right. And so you can use it otherwise. So we want to go into that to train our lay people how they could be more actively involved in the day-to-day running of the church how can we do church in the light of our modern times yes. time you know times so that's what we want to talk about and we'll be working with you to do some short-term causes mm-hmm. i don't know how it's just an idea yeah no i so think it's just a vision i don't know you are the experts and you all will work on that well and we've actually already talked about it we have we have kind of a, a list going of um of ways that we can go beyond our current students uh-huh. Uh-huh. And of course, you know that we have um, a chaplaincy program yes. for, you already mentioned we have 400 something um, in America, Ele- we call yeah. them elementary and high and middle school and high middle schools, school and high school, okay. but um, primary and secondary schools. Um, and, and we're in the process of training a chaplain for each of the, um, the schools. secondary schools right yes. now uh-huh. so that um, we can continue to um, develop principled and faith-based leadership among our young people. So every school was meant to to send a chaplain to be trained at the um, at the School of Theology as well. Yeah. So we've kind of started small, but it, it, it continues to grow. And it I think that there's grow. lots of good vision. It continues to grow. And of course, we've talked a lot about the School of Theology, which is the only one that we have open right now. Oh, but yes. long oh, yes. term, we plan to open a School of Allied Health Sciences. Is yes, that right? Community and Allied Health Sciences. Okay, and then and then also the school of agriculture. Okay, and then the school of development and professional studies. Wonderful. Those are the three. That's fantastic. That we want to add in the next four years. It's a pretty bold goal. It's a bold goal. It's a bold goal. <laughs> It's, um, it's always good to have your goals before you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Something to work toward. Oh, yes. So how can, um, you know, if people are listening and, and think, okay, I actually want to be a part of um, uh, of making a long-term impact um, across the world, how, how can people who might want to partner with us do that? Well, we're, I think the very first thing we need to do, like the kind of podcast we're doing, mm-hmm. we need to let the world and friends and partners know what we are doing. Absolutely. Then only they could be of help. Mm-hmm. But also, in terms of what we might want friends, we will want friends and partners, how they want to be involved in, we, we have what to call... Uh, friends of the university. Ah, oh, great. Yeah, we can organize friends of the university. Mm-hmm. And there are so many and uh, 
anything, anything, a $10, $5, nothing is too small mm-hmm. to begin a university. Mm-hmm. We need the last dime to be able to make a difference. Right. So we can have friends from the university. We can also have friends who will work to want to come on a, as volunteers to do some work. We are doing some construction programs, mm-hmm. you know, to do motor and brake kind of stuff. Somebody to come to help us with landscaping, you know, to beautify the compound. Maybe a librarian. Somebody can come with a librarian to help us really reorganize and set up our library. I mean, there's enough for everybody to do. Absolutely. We might need a computer specialist who might want to come for one month or so and teach the students, you know, and all the rest of that. Right. So we can actually we welcome can, um, academics from across the academics world. Academics from across the world. They to can come and come, teach. Yeah. Yes, as adjunct lecturers or professors. Mm-hmm. You can come for like a month and teach all the modules. Mm-hmm. They can teach and then give the grades and then you go back. Yeah, all sort of things. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so there's actually lots of ways. I was going to say, come and see us. I would love to host you. Come and see. Yeah. Come and see. Oh, yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for that offer. <laughs> thank you. We also have this dream, especially for the seminary for now, where we want to do a kind of guest housing, mm-hmm. you know, for our adjunct lecturers who might want to come. Right. So there is enough. There is enough. We want to be guest housing. As you know, we're already doing the chapel there. Hopefully by next year, that chapel will be complete. And then that chapel will not just be for the students, mm-hmm. but there are others living in the you know, Leicester Peak environment who might not want to come downtown every Sunday to service. Right. They can use that as the church. Oh, that's great. Oh, oh, yes. We're going to make it open to them. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I first got here, you said, isn't it exciting to be to, to be a part of um, the beginning of what will be a great university? Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. And, and, oh, uh, yes. and it is exciting. <laughs> it is. Well, thank you. Uh, well, so thank you. I think there are really a lot of ways to be involved. There's a whole lot. Um, There's a whole and lot. we'd like to invite anybody who's listening to consider that go to your church or as an individual consider being involved mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's very exciting so let me ask you a couple of things I, I, I'd like to know how's the church doing in Sierra Leone I think we are on the right footing the church is progressing when I came over when I took up we had only about six districts mm-hmm. today we can probably say we have up to 10 districts and we're hoping that we will create another new district by 2021 because we're already creating a new district now we've created a new district in Pujan we're creating a new district that's already matured enough in Kailang and by next year we are creating two other districts in uh, <coughs> Cambia mm-hmm. yeah we're creating a district in Cambia and so the church is doing well. We have expanded to places where we have never been, especially in the north and in the east and in the south. Uh, just creating new places for new people, in keeping with the goals of the general of, of the general church. We uh, we have very strong youth fellowship and children Christian education program, children's ministry. Our women are strong. Uh, we do not have a strong men's organization anyway, mm-hmm. which is just common everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, our we are one of the leading denominations in the area of education. We are one of the leading denominations in the area of health. Yeah. We have about nine health facilities across the country with four hospitals, including an eye, you know, an eye hospital. We are revamping our health you know, facilities all over the place, especially here in Kisi, in Freetown and in Mercy Hospital, mm-hmm. all in the process of creating and, uh, a patient-friendly environment and uh, creating our, increasing our capacity to reach out to more people with high-quality medical or health treatment. That's one thing that I think, um, so one of the things that I love being about, uh, about being a United Methodist is that we do go back to John Wesley, um, his his theological focus and understanding of the gospel is that it is both head and heart and it's both soul and body. Oh, yeah. And so that means that that Jesus cares about um, health. Jesus cares about justice. Jesus cares about making sure that you are eating enough, um, that, that we we people of faith care about the whole person. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and even, and, and I see that everywhere here. I mean, I think the United Methodist Women speaking out against violence is um, so powerful. Um, and I and I think also I mean we just had this election, and the the churches banded together. You bishops came together and um, and really in many ways kept the peace. Oh yes, well by the grace of God, by the grace of God, by the grace of God. But I've seen you be bold and brave as a prophetic voice in this place. Well, thank you. It's well, true. That that's what we are called to do, Katie. Because because the Bible is very clear. God says, "I have given you." My my word for your for my people if you if you tell them the truth and they do not obey it mm-hmm. and they die in their sins their blood will be upon you mm. but if you tell them the truth and they disobey and they die then you'll be free of their blood mm. and so i think this is a responsibility it's a spiritual responsibility and we need to come out very clear on this because you see what is happening in this country is that for far too long, religious leaders have compromised their calling. And we have, you know, sang the praises of the leaders that be when we ought not to. We ought, you know, we have, we have praised them when we ought to have condemned them. And so, you know, like all of the ills that has happened in this country over the years, yes, we may blame politicians, but we are to blame too. Mm. We share the blame. And so at this particular point, I think we need to be more proactive. We need to take a different stand and to say to government, well done when they do good. And they say to them, poor if they perform poorly. Right. I mean, we to have to be... them out of corruption. Yes, we have to be prophetic about this. Yeah. And uh, and uh, there, is, there is no other thing, nothing else, no alternative, but mm-hmm. just to do that. That's yeah. what we're called to do. And that's what the church is meant to be about. That's what the church is meant to be. You know, I, yeah. I remember early on my dad, when I was younger, my dad used to say that the, the church is, has lost its moral voice. We have lost it. In, we uh, have certainly lost in it. the States, you know. We have lost it. You know, it. where the prophets coming out. We have lost it. Yeah. We have lost it. Yeah. So I have one last question, and it's kind Please. of it's kind of a selfish question, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, because uh, I'm I'm developing some guiding 
values for mm-hmm. my classroom with the students. Uh-huh. And um, two of those things, uh, two of those guiding, well, really, I just have two right now. Um, guiding values are um, that the world needs your voice and the details matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in talking about all of these um, questions of confidence and, and raising visionary leaders. Um, so my my question for you because I know you to be someone who is a hard worker uh, and a visionary leader and very confident um, in your call well so thank you you're thank welcome you. mm-hmm. I, it's true um, and I, I I want to know um, I think maybe where that comes from like what is the well from which you draw and where and 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 how is it that you have come to the place to to have that kind of principled and confident leadership well, well, thank you, Kitty, for, for, for that question. First of all, as I've shared with you already, I came from a very poor home. Mm-hmm. I went to school without shoes. Mm. I went to school with tattered uniforms. I went to school on a hungry stomach. Mm-hmm. And now that I have come to this point, and God has given me this special privilege, I say to myself, I will use every energy and all that it takes, that all that God gives me to ensure that no child goes to school without uniform. No child goes to school with with unhungry stomach. And, and that's my call. And, and, and so what I have done and what I have been doing over the years is that wherever I get the opportunity to be an advocate, to be a mouthpiece for the downtrodden in our community, in our society, I have to come down loud and clear. Mm-hmm. But also, as God gives me the opportunity directly, because it's not just about talking, mm-hmm. but about doing. And that's the gospel message. We do not only preach, we also do. And so whatever it costs, as God gives me the opportunity, that's the reason why I am the only where maybe two of us, my, 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 my cousin also had gone to university in the same family, but those are the two of us in the entire village of about wow. 500 people wow. in that village and in the entire community. Oh. So I want to give as much education as possible. I think you were with us when we went to my village mm-hmm. and you saw the school that we're building. It's a way of giving back. It's a way of being a blessing mm. because what you have experienced, you don't want others to experience it anymore. Right. You see, the poverty that I went through, I don't want any other child to go through through and that's what we ought to do so that's kind of my my propelling force that's what it's in me that's my drive Mm -hmm. that's really the drive you you see god created the whole world and creation and said behold it is gold but mankind fell out of grace and yes still god's heart was still after us and so even when he was annoyed with Adam and Eve, <laughs> when he was mad with them, mm-hmm. sacrifice was made. Mm-hmm. An animal or two animals or three animals were killed mm-hmm. so that their skin could be used as clothing. And so even as that, we still continue our sins. He still made another sacrifice. This time his own very son. And if God could make those sacrifices, mm-hmm. And it's giving us all that it takes to make them who are we not to. Mm. Amen. 
So that's just what I do. That's beautiful. Every day of my life. Mm-hmm. There are times people have been concerned about my physical health, about me going here and there. And I've always said to them, the Bible says, walk while it is day. Mm-hmm. For the night cometh when no man shall walk. And uh, I thought my day is the health and the strength that God has given me. Yeah. And I really want to invest it. Yeah. Sooner or later, a couple of years from now, I'm retiring. That's right. <laughs> and I will not be doing this anymore. And you can sleep. Yeah, and I can sleep. So <laughs> I think I have enough time to sleep. Yeah. So, but now, let me do what I am doing. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I look at you I, and do wonder how you do it all. Um, and, and so it, it, it makes me feel like you must have a deep well of the sustaining spirit of God. God is there. Yeah. God has been the force. God has been the one. It's beautiful. Yeah. God has been. And, and you know, and God has also blessed me with a wife who mm-hmm. allows me to. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. God has really blessed me with a wife who is the push. Mm-hmm. You know, who says, Johnny, you got to do this. This is what God has called you to do. Mm-hmm. This is what God has told you to do. And, and, and it's very encouraging. And my children are all affirm, all affirm that. And, and so, and, and you see, God has given me all it takes beautiful home you know nice family we all live together in peace and unity and allows me the time to do what i'm doing i think that's all that's all so god has been so kind to me in ways that i cannot express at all Mm. he's giving me so much that even what i give i think can never ever be compared with a tenth of what he has done for me well, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you for the interview. And also, um, more than that, thank you for the opportunity to come here and serve. Um, you did tell me early on the first day I met you that Sierra Leone gets into your soul and you fall in love with it quickly and oh, yes. into your heart. And, oh, and that's yes. certainly true. Oh, I love yes. it here. I love it well, here. Well, thank you. I think you've made yourself available. I think that's all. Mm. Sometimes I say to missionaries, oh, we went to that country, but I don't have what it takes. So I tell them God is interested in your qualifications. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is interested in is your availability. Mm-hmm. Make yourself available, and that's all. Mm-hmm. And thank God that's just what you are doing here thank with you. us. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Katie. Well, God bless you. God bless you. You have a good day. Yes, you okay. too. I know you got things going on, so uh-huh. have a good one. Well, thank you. Okay. Now that you have heard that conversation, I hope that you were excited about what the Lord is doing in Sierra Leone and the thing that I get get to be involved in. I have to tell you that I'm excited. So if you um, do want to get involved in some way, and if you heard a spark there, you can actually go to my website. Right now, the best way to give to the university is actually my education fund. So that gets funneled through me into the university and they'll, on the website, there's a lot more information about where that money goes specifically to in, in terms of a budget. So you can go to my website, check that out. Um, but also if you're interested, if you heard that possibility of a team coming or things that you might be able to do to get involved, um, send me an email and I can get us moving. Or check me out on Facebook. I would really love to communicate with you. So it's postmodernmissionary.com and postmodernmissionary on all the socials. So reach out. I'd love to hear from you. God bless you, friends.